Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 will be our sermon text. Familiar passage we hope to you. Especially if you are a child of God, you should be familiar with these verses. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I want to begin by way of introduction by asking you a question, something to think about. As far as words go, and don't answer impulsively or immediately unless you're sure, but what would you perhaps choose as your favorite word? I did a little bit of research on that, just trivially interested, and I was even more surprised than I thought I would be at some of the popular words that the world and people uh, trend and think are their favorites. And some that I thought would be there, like some of the games on TV, were not there, and there were some there that I never imagined would be there. But, you know, probably a couple of things might come to our mind as far as what we think most people's would be, would be something like love or peace, because we have seen those advocated by different groups of people over large periods of time, you know. But uh, some people choose a word for the meaning. Some people choose the word for just the beauty of the word. I found that out when I researched that, how the word sounds, how the word is spelled, what the word looks like. And I say all this to say this. Our subject today, obviously from the text, is God's grace. And to a child of God or to a sinner who has been saved by God's grace, there's not a more beautiful word, I don't think, that can ever be had in the human mind. And it's not because of how many letters it has. It's not because of how it looks on paper. It's the meaning that it conveys to us from God's word. In fact, everything God communicates to us is through this channel and this word, grace. It is a big word. It is a beautiful word. I am not negating the word Jesus because they are practically synonymous. Synonymous in the sense that if you believe in grace and the teaching of grace from the Bible, then you must believe in Jesus. However, many people will be in hell who believed in a Jesus that had never experienced the grace that is in Jesus. So that's why I say grace before Jesus, but yet at the same time it is synonymous with Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. Many, many years ago in a study in God's Word, we were doing a study in this church, and we made it very clear that in order to know and understand the Bible, you need to recognize the theme of the Bible. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that theme is grace. And the object of the Bible is Jesus. That's the way you read the Bible. Because that is the theme and that is the object of the theme. And to do it any other way is to miss so much. 
So grace, I believe in this life, is the most beautiful word that we can embrace because of what it means to us. And I believe it will be the word that we will embrace through the eternal ages. Because grace has no beginning and no ending when it comes to God and sinners. So it will be the theme of the ages. It will still be ringing millenniums through time. We will go on, we will continue, we will enjoy, and it will all be because of grace. It is such a simple word, is it not? And we are reminded again, as always, when we come to God's word, whether it be a word, a truth, or a doctrine, it is so many times encapsulated in a simple little word that is so profound it is incomprehensible. And grace truly measures up to that standard. I mean, grace. It's simple, is it not? Yet the depth is bottomless when it comes to comprehending all that the grace of God is. Every doctrine, every teaching, everything in this book emanates from the well of God's grace. And again, when we say that, we are again, of course, synonymously saying Jesus. All right? Because without Jesus, there is no grace. And in grace is where Jesus is manifested in all of his exalted glory. So just remember that. I've taught that over the years and I remind you of it often. Truth does not have to be all dressed up in some glamorous apparel. It can stand perfectly naked as it most times does. And in all of its simplicity and nakedness, that identifies it as truth. Error has to be just the opposite. It needs to be decorated up. But truth is usually simple, but incomprehensible. Now it's a marvel, is it not, in some ways to our mind, that something so simple as by grace are you saved through faith, can be so almost universally rejected. And I say universally because as sinners, we do universally reject that means of salvation. As sinners, we are works-oriented because of our very depravity. Our sin nature tells us, I must do something. And the Bible says God will do it. God must do it. God has to do it. And if God doesn't do it, you can't do it, and you're hopelessly lost. God doing the doing, that's grace. So again, we stand in awe sometimes at how the simple truths of God's Word can be so universally rejected perverted, unaccepted, not believed, 
And yet, as a priority, religious complexity becomes the rule of the day. People will flock to someone who says, you must do this and this and this and this and that, and you must do it this and this and this and this and that and that and that way, or else. Hordes flock to that. But it's not in the nature of sinner to accept what God says that by and through grace and Christ alone are you saved. But when we have experienced that, we embrace that, do we not? I mean, there's not a better message to be had. That is the message of the gospel. That we are saved and delivered by the free and sovereign grace of God plus nothing else. We think we must earn it, but the bottom line is he did it all. So this text is a beautiful text. It's a text that should cause our hearts to leap with joy every time we think about it or read it or hear it preached or taught. By grace are you saved. That not of yourselves. Juggle it any way you want to. You can't distort the truth that's in these two verses. We hope to feebly try to expound three points on it. That is, how sinners are saved. How sinners experience that grace and salvation. And thirdly, how sinners are not saved. So first of all, very clearly stated, for by grace are you saved. We ought to deal a little bit with the word save since everything is so diluted and perverted today. But people need to be saved. Sinners need salvation. Saved from what? A drowning man needs to be saved from drowning man. A dying man needs to be saved from maybe what's killing him or so forth and so on. Sinners need to be saved from their sins. After all, we are sinners, and the first three letters define the problem, sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fell by one man's sin, disobedience, Romans chapter 5. So the great need of every human being since the beginning of time is saved or delivered from sin. I read it in Sunday school, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. I won't read it again. But sin is the problem. Sin is what has separated you and your God, your creator God. And that wedge was there when you came forth from the womb. We went astray because of sin. We sin because we're sinners, not to become sinners, but because of what we are. We sin. And sin, of course, has a penalty. The Bible makes that penalty very clear. And we see this penalty every time we see a funeral or attend a funeral or see a hearse go down the road or read the obituary in the newspaper. There's sin's penalty. The wages of sin, the payoff of sin, the payday of sin is death. Physical death and one day a spiritual death in that regard. So it has a penalty. Salvation is deliverance from sin. Therein we also throw in a deliverance from our own self as being sinners. 
Because the punishment of sin, as the Bible says, is not a temporal thing. It is an eternal thing. It is an incomprehensible thing. It is an unimaginable thing. But the Bible talks a lot about it, about a place of punishment, right? And in Luke 16, it even tells us, Jesus himself tells us of a man who is there and what it is like. The most graphic words and account we have of what hell is like. I do not believe that is a parable. I do not believe the words are symbolic. I do not believe the message is symbolical or something. I believe everything there is literal. I believe Lazarus was the man's real name. In other parables, and that's one of the foundational points. I won't digress very long on that. But to me, that's the thing that just jumps out at you in hearing that. Jesus didn't call it a parable. And he literally named the man, Lazarus, a beggar who went to heaven. I mean, John 10 says Jesus knows the sheep and the sheep know him. And he knows them by name. Nowhere does Jesus give us a name in a parable. This was very specific and very personal. And the other man's name was anonymous because, again, without Christ, you are anonymous. Without being a child of God and a recipient of grace, you are just another name, just another number, just another person, just nothing. And we were all nothing till grace came, until Christ came. So the Bible warns of it. The Bible says it's there. The Bible tells us what will happen when you take your last breath without repenting of your sins, that the penalty of sin must be faced, that God will not acquit the wicked. So whether a sinner believes it or not, the Bible states it very clear. You are in need of salvation. And we were before we knew it, right? And thank God he made us aware of it. So save means deliverance from those things. Well, how do we define grace? Oh, I could spend the rest of the day here and probably still couldn't define it. It means so much more than Webster says. It means so much more than our finite minds can comprehend. But let's try, shall we? And let's use God's Word as an example. Let's look at verse 7, the verse preceding our text. It mentions there that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. You know, when you, when you read that, just think about that for a moment with me. Chew on that, will you? Exceeding riches of. Now, we can think about money, gold, wealth, the exceeding riches. I mean, not just a few dollars, but a treasure house of gold, Fort Knox. You could think about some exquisite Dessert that is exceedingly rich, right? You know, I'm not just normal cookie or candy. That exquisite, okay, that's what we're talking about. The exceeding riches of His grace. That which is beyond our comprehension. But it's stated here where we can embrace it in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's a, probably about as good a phrase anywhere in the Bible I can find to define grace. His kindness through to us, toward us, through Jesus Christ. Biblically, that's my definition. <laughs> now, it is kindness. 
It is favor, and so oftentimes we say the unmerited favor of God, and we say a heartily amen to that. But I don't think we embrace that as much because do you use the word merit? We don't use that much. It used to be, you know, back when the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts were on the straight and there, you know, you got merit badges. That word was used a little bit more. You know, but merited means earned. You had to earn those badges. Well, grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's God doing things for no reason other than His own good pleasure. God doesn't reward your good deeds with His grace. God administers grace whether you have good deeds or not. He makes it to rain on the just and the unjust, but He's especially good in His grace and graciousness to those that believe, Paul said to Timothy. So it is the unmerited favor of God. It is the favor of God or the favor of a person who gives without expectation or gives without obligation. Giving what is undeserved, not what is owed. Okay? And I like a dear brother from many years ago who made this statement, and it's never left me. I've never heard a human definition any better that it defines grace to my mind. God doing everything good for good for nothing man. That's about as pure as it gets in my mind. It cannot be earned or it's not grace. If it's of debt, it's not grace. If it's obligation... It's not grace. But understand you today, the kindness of God, God is under no obligation to no one. No man, no sinner, no angel, no devil, nobody. That is God. God, sovereign, means He is under no obligation except to Himself. If He says He will do something, he is under obligation of his own being to his own self, but not to anybody else. Again, that blows our mind, doesn't it? We, we, don't, we don't work that way. We don't live that way. We don't function that way. Obligation is something we understand and we're bound by. God is not bound by obligation. Therefore, his grace is much more pure than the grace that you and I could administer. But thank God He's gracious. I mean, this, and I want to point this out to you. Very early on in the book of Exodus, God states to Moses and manifests to the children of Israel that He is, as we would say, a God of grace. Grace being gracious. The 33rd chapter of Exodus and verse 19 he said in relationship to passing before Moses and Moses seeing his glory, verse 18 was the request, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The important thing you need to get out of that is two things. Number one, God is grace or gracious, just like God is love. And the second thing is, He is under no obligation to dispense it at all. He would still be God 
without losing anything if he never dispensed any grace. He would still be as perfect and as holy and what have you, but his dispensing of that is a manifestation of himself, and that's exactly why he does it, that we as his creatures and sinners who are saved by it might be glorified, would glorify him. In verse chapter 34 and verse 6, as he passed by, Moses hid in the cleft of the rock, the Lord passed by and proclaimed, Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Don't you wish that could be said about you? <laughs> it's not true of any of us, is it? If any of that was to pertain to us and could be said of us, what would we have to say? Well, it's all because of God's grace. I mean, if, you, if somebody gave you a eulogy and say, well, so-and-so was merciful and gracious and long-suffering and just full of goodness and truth, they'd have to raise up out of the grave and say, that's all by the grace of God, wouldn't we? That would be our testimony, wouldn't it? Because that's inherently not in any of us. But it is inherently who God is. God didn't do anything to get this way. This is who God is. He is a fountain of grace, of mercy, of long-suffering. Think of it today with me, folks. It's who He would be if He never created anything. He would be who He is. Everything He has done simply manifests who He is that we might praise, worship, honor, and glorify Him. Peter also said something to that effect in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace. Isn't that beautiful? What God do you believe in? We believe in the God of the Bible. And as I've read in Exodus, and now I read way over just about the same number of pages from the end as those others were from the front, we read the same testimony. How many hundreds of years later where another man says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you suffered a while, make you perfect, establish strength and settle. That's our God. There's nobody else like Him. Well, there's no other book like the Bible. This is who God declares Himself to be. One more scripture on that, if I may, and I'm getting way behind already. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I insert this because again to distinguish the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the same thing when applied to us. In other words, if you are going about your day, you have no intentions of giving money or something, anything to anybody. That's not your goal to go out and be gracious and give something to somebody. But you happen on to somebody. And the feeling, the urge or something moves you to do something for this person. We have something in us that causes us to do that. You see where I'm coming from? We may, by the looks of the person, want to do something. 
You might because they're holding a sign, like a lot of them do, want to do something. You see, there's a cause and effect there. My point being, God didn't operate like that. He didn't look through the ages of time and say, well, look what they got themselves into. I guess I got to be... No. He, his, God's grace is so pure. It doesn't look at anything. It doesn't have to have an... Ob- well, let me, let me not misunderstand it. God's grace is so pure, God determined to be gracious before the need was actually there. God doesn't react to sinners, God has already determined to act in and of His grace. How do we know that? Because there's such a thing as unconditional election. God loved you before you were. God chose you before you were. I mean, and God chose to save you before you were. Now, did you deserve it? No, you didn't even exist. Was He obligated? No, you weren't even, you had no part in it. When we talk about grace, we need to be talking about He. He. Alright? Let me, can I, I'm, whether I get done this or not, I'm going to try not to keep you long. I've been very bad at that in the past. Been getting worse, actually. And I, I apologize, but I haven't come up with a solution how to stop it yet. Maybe if I just bring no notes to the pulpit, we could try that, but I don't know. We may not want to record it. I don't know. But nevertheless, Ephesians 1 and 2 are full of the grace of God. Let's, let's make a fast trip, shall we? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Again, every verse nearly I've referenced here in the New Testament this morning has been by grace through Christ, through grace. Okay, all right? And Peter over there and whatever. Okay, there's the foundation after the introduction, verse 3. That's the diving board. That's the launching board right there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. He blessed us. With what? With all spiritual blessings. Nothing withheld. All available. How did he do that? In heavenly places in Christ. In the spiritual realm in and through his son. All right, now you want to hear the details of that? Just follow with me. Verse 4. He chose us. Verse 5, He predestinated us. He adopted us. He did it to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6, He did it to the praise of the glory of His grace. He made us accepted in the Beloved. He redeemed us in verse 7. He did it through the blood of Christ. He forgave us our sins and it's all of His grace. He abounded toward us wisdom and prudence. Verse 8, He made known to us all that he's doing, verse 9. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will. He is going to gather, in verse 10, all things together in one in a dispensation of time, things in heaven and things in earth. He has given us an inheritance, in verse 11. He did it according to his own purpose and will. He works everything according to his own will, that we would be to the praise of his glory in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, which he gave us, he brought to us, he sent to us. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 13, it is the earth. 
promise of our inheritance. He's one day going to redeem our bodies. Verse 14. Verse 17. He has given to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Verse 18. He has opened the eyes of your understanding. You now have the hope of His calling that He's given you. Again, the riches and inheritance of the saints one day will be He has given to us. The greatness of His power, verse 19, to usward who believe, He's giving us His working of His mighty power. He wrought it in Christ. He raised Christ from the dead. He set Him above principality and power. He put all things of His feet. I mean, He quickened us, chapter 2 and verse 1. He is rich in mercy, verse 4. His love, He loved us. Verse 5 again, He quickened us when we were dead in sins. And notice verse 5 gets overlooked, that little last part in parentheses that states it before our text. For by grace are you saved. Now the Bible is just what I just told you. We just went through one chapter. That's grace. He, 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 bye, 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 bye. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's how sinners are saved. The manifestation of that grace of God's love, of course, is in His Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The manifestation of God's love through His grace is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be saved. How sinners experience the grace. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. 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 That's it. Faith is the means. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's not this preacher's idea. That's what God's Word says. Hebrews 11 tells us what we need to know about faith. Verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One thing you need to get out of that, faith is something outside of the five senses. You know what that means? We don't have it. <laughs> That's the bottom line. As sinners, we are creatures of the five senses. Faith is not in your five senses. It's not there, is it? It's something outside of that. And verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. May I digress a little bit and just say to you, this is manifested in the person of Christ Himself, who people with their own physical eyes saw God and did not believe in God. They used the sense of hearing the gracious words from His mouth and rejected Him with those senses and through the mouth they spoke blasphemies against him and with their hands they crucified and murdered him there's what the senses does when it comes to God those senses can only be used to glorify God on the basis of faith when faith comes there can then be works verse 10 which we're not going to get into today 
But we must believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And again, that is implying grace. Because grace is the only means by which a sinner will ever seek God. Because the Bible says there is none that seeketh God. And I can tell you right now without having to ask you because I know the testimony of the Bible. I know my own experience. You only sought God when grace had already come. It is grace that causes the sinner to seek God. And if God didn't initiate grace, there would be no seekers. We would be universally condemned, all of us. So sinners are void of faith. We have not faith. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2, all men have not faith. And he was making the distinction between the saved and the lost. And remember, the Bible is a book that contrasts faith and faithless or faithlessness and faith remember the same root word pistos in the Greek faith is believing no faith no believing unbelieving it's present or it's absent and if it's present you believe if it's absent you don't believe that's it so we do not have it the five senses and the faith that many people think they have is what we used to be called in Arkansas just wishful thinking. You're hoping for something without any foundation whatsoever. That's not the faith of God's elect. Our faith has a foundation. Our faith has an object. And I've read it to you many times already and referenced it in chapter 1 of Ephesians. It is through Christ and through His blood. That is the means. That is the object of our faith. Now, again, a lot of people have faith in an object, but it's not real faith if it's not the right object. I mean, it's not saving faith. It is some kind of faith. People have faith in works. They have faith in the church. They have faith in this. They have faith in that. And all that faith will fail you. Only if your object is the impeccable, sinless Son of God will you be saved. The faith that God gives embraces God's Son. The grace that God's give, God gives to sinners takes us to Christ as Savior. Now again, we're void of that. And we don't believe that. And we don't embrace that because we're a soulish individual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of God. They're foolishness unto him. This is why people say, show me God and I'll believe in him. <laughs> Wouldn't do you a bit of good, you fool. And I say that not condescendingly saying that, but that's exactly what it is. I can show you the testimony of people that observed him for three and a half years, and they didn't believe him. You wouldn't. The rich man in hell said, send, send Lazarus from heaven, and they'll believe. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. What did Abraham say? They got Moses and the prophets. There's plenty of evidence and plenty of testimony. You don't need more signs. Signs is not going to do it. You need faith. Faith. It is faith that embraces what God said. Why do you believe this book? Only because of faith. This book was true before you ever believed it, and it'll be true if you don't believe it. But you can embrace it and be blessed by it by faith. You don't have to see God. Because this book presents a hope that you can latch on to through faith. 
It embraces the truth of God's Word. It embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, in fact, it embraces the promises of God. Gives you a footing. And it only comes by the new birth. Chapter 2 of our text. Verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That is enabling, you see. Being made alive is enabling. That which is dead can do nothing, but that which is alive can do something. And when the Holy Spirit quickens a sinner to life, then the grace is imparted for that sinner to repent and believe, else he would never repent and believe. The will, the desire, and the ability is not there, but grace makes it all possible. All possible. Galatians chapter 3. In verse 22, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. What a precious Scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Notice how that harmonizes with our text. Therefore, it is of faith. What? Salvation. That it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, etc., etc. And then there's one scripture I want to turn to in the book of Philippians chapter 1. In verse 29, I believe it is. Bear with me. Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him but to suffer for His sake. Again, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Okay? Faith is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Those two points have been debated in this verse, but why debate them? They're both universally true according to Scripture. But notice this verse. Unto you it is given. Okay, who's doing the giving? God is. What is it when God gives? Grace. Who's it given to? Unworthy sinners. How's it given? In the behalf or through the means of His Son Christ. And what is given? Not only Him, everything everything when a sinner has not faith receives faith and latches on to these promises like I heard old preacher say one time somebody's like a bulldog latching on to something you know it will not let go no matter what well if you latch on to something guess what you might let go but when God's grace this truth of the gospel that you're saved by grace latches hold of you, you're going to let go. Again, we know it's not our grip on the Savior, but the Savior's grip on us, right? It's the truth's grip on us, not our grip on the Chapter 1, where Paul speaks there about their election in verse 4 and how the means of that came by not only in the word of the gospel, but in the power and assurance of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, they became followers 
And they did it with the Holy Ghost. They became examples, examples to all of those around them of what faith and believing in Christ did. Then they were missionary-minded and their faith went abroad and demonstrated and manifested itself. And verse 9 says, They themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And finally now, because of that faith, you have hope and wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from dead and delivered us from the wrath to come. Faith. That's how you experience God's grace in Faith embraces all that God said on those subjects. And as Paul says, it looks whatever else has said and says it's nothing but dung. Last point. How sinners are not saved. Now again, as easy as it is to embrace for We can only explain it one way. What the Bible says about our own inherent, sinful, dead, in trespasses, and sin nature. We've got everything wrong. We've got salvation wrong. We've got being a sinner wrong. We've got the means wrong. We've got it all wrong, upside down, inside out. And we need the grace of God to straighten it out. You, I beg of you sincerely, could God have said it in any other words that would have been any more plain than our text in a text like that? I, I don't know how you could do it. And yet, this is the way most seek to be saved. Doing something. It's like it's in our DNA that we're born that enough it outweighs enough bad. Where, where does that come from to start with? It's almost like we, you know, I almost look back and think I believed that before I ever heard it or, or as a child. I don't know. It just, you know, enough good outweigh enough bad, everything will be all right. Well, 
maybe that's just our notion of the way things work in this world, but of course it doesn't work that way with God. Because guess what? You don't even have any good before God. The Bible makes it clear, I don't have time to read it, but Romans 11, that there's a remnant according to the election of grace, and it's not, I've got to read it. Romans 11, verse 5, Even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to what? The works? No, the election of grace. And verse 6, again, I've got to read this. And if by grace, this is presenting a hypothetical in a sense, or for a contrast purpose, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Let me give it to you like this. If it's dark, it can't be light. And if it's light, it can't be dark. this, do they? Bible makes that clear in Galatians, Romans 3. Very clear. Yet look around you, and again I challenge you, look at the religions of the past, look at the religions of today, and what are most doing, even within the realm of Christianity. Within the realm of Christianity, meaning the people who believe in the Bible, and supposedly believe in the God of the Bible, and Christ is the means of salvation. What are they doing? If you go and listen to what's being taught or what's written in their articles of faith, you will see a mixture of grace and works. God does this, but you've got to do that. And God will do this, but you've got to do that. Do you read that in verse 6? No, you do not because it's not there. And there is no such thing. That is a foundation of man and it will fail. And people are deceived by it and people will go to hell because of it being taught that God has done this much and you've got to fill in the blanks and there is no such thing. For by grace are you saved. Not of works. Not of works. And there's a good reason for not of works. Because if you did, let me tell you one thing and I don't care who you are today. and the grace of God is the only thing that stifles it. You've been saved by the grace of God, you know that today. If God is saving you today, you're living because of He, not because of I. And you want to talk about Him and not about me. But we're prone to boast. That little word I gets us in more trouble. I look forward to the day. I believe in heaven I will be obsolete. I believe in heaven it's only going to be he and him. I like that. That's a place I want to be. And I like not hearing you say I. Or some.
somebody else, don't you? I mean, what a wonderful place it's going to be where I will be obsolete. Sign me up now. I'm already signed up. That's just saying that, but I, I could go right now for that. Wow. That's what I meant when I said delivered from ourselves. And the purpose being that no flesh should glory in His presence. Works is a foundation for bagging, for glorying, for strutting, for saying, look what I've done, pat me on the back, reward me. And God dispenses grace not based on any respect of the person nor of their works of righteousness, which are as him or you what he did or what you're trying to do. I hope you can say without any hesitation, by grace I am saved through faith. And as one old alcoholic good friend of mine